This is American Hysteria's Aftershock, where I share with you a story that didn't make it into the main episode. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and today we're talking about the curse of the lottery. You know, my wife had said she wished that she'd torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up, too. The windfalls of treasure that we dream about discovering and the rituals we may employ to call those riches to us have a dark side to their brand of magic. For doesn't every treasure won also come with a curse? In the case of the lottery, many of us have heard this legend that almost anyone who ends up winning a vast fortune through the chance of choosing the right numbers ends up in the opposite position, often far worse off than they were before. Bankruptcy, drug addiction, divorce, murder, and death, all of these things have befallen individuals who've hit that dreamy jackpot. For this episode, we'll look at some examples that have helped construct the idea that the lottery has a touch of evil and that unseen forces may punish those who open themselves up to the so-called curse of the lottery, a modern monkey's paw folk tale that tells us, be careful what you wish for, you may never know the true cost of messing with fate. Let's start with the most famous fantasy-turned-horror story, a 55-year-old man named Jack Whitaker who won the $314 million jackpot in 2002 and vowed publicly to do good things with his winnings. Jack quickly became the newest media darling as the Whitaker family endeared themselves to the American public, appearing in news reports and interviews. He said that he planned to give a customary 10% to his local church, about $13 million. He also formed the Jack Whitaker Foundation in order to help the needy of West Virginia and bought Brenda, the clerk who sold him the winning ticket, a new house and a new car. Jack had plenty of money left over after his good deeds, but insisted that he didn't want any radical changes in his life. All he really wanted to do was spend more time with his family and help out those in need, who were writing him letters by the hundreds. But the cracks in this story of the Christian down-home charitable family man soon began to show. On New Year's Day 2003, just a week after winning, Jack walked confidently into the local Pink Pony strip club and smacked $50,000 in cash down on the bar. He began drinking heavily and gambling much of his fortune away. Jack's first brush with the law came when he was sued by three female floor attendants at the Tri-State Racetrack and Gaming Center for inappropriately and aggressively touching and grabbing them. The women said that Jack was visibly intoxicated, playing slots in the high roller room with a companion who was not his wife. Jack's behavior became a problem at the Pink Pony too. 24-year-old Misty Dawn Arnold, the den mother at the strip club, said that Jack's busy fingers caused the management to assign extra security to keep an eye on just him. By then, Jack had made a habit of flashing his cash. 
he had boldly declared that he carried a suitcase with him containing over $500,000 in cash. During one of his routine visits to the Pink Pony, he was finally, inevitably, robbed. Calling the police and accusing the Pink Pony's staff of drugging him, Jack ended up in the next day's papers. This time, it wasn't so cute. From there, Jack's life began to disintegrate, though he still had a considerable fortune left. All the while, he'd been lavishing his granddaughter Brandy, who was the apple of his eye, with outrageous gifts and a constant flow of cash. The 17-year-old, who now had four cars and a $9,000 monthly allowance, developed a serious drug problem. In the darkest turn of Jack's story yet, Brandy's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Jesse Joe Tribble, was found dead at one of Jack's houses from an overdose. Tragically, Brandy herself was also found dead from an overdose in December 2004, after she'd been missing for several days. Over the next few years, Jack battled legal problems stemming from assault lawsuits, two DUIs, and from Jesse Joe Tribble's father, who relentlessly sought justice for his son. Jack's wife, Jewel, filed for divorce, and Jack was frequently spotted at his local bar, where he would harass women and pick fights. In 2006, Jack reportedly lost all his money by way of thieves forging 12 separate checks. I have a feeling that perhaps there's more to that story than we know. In 2007, just four years after his big win, Jack sat down for a famous interview with ABC News, where, for the first time, he expressed regret for how winning the lottery had changed his life. You know, my wife had said she wished that she'd torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up, too. I pretty much lost everything I held here in my life. I don't know where it'll end, but, you know, I just, I, I don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. Uh, I just don't like what I've become. Believers of the lottery curse are quick to point out that his bad luck did continue. His daughter Ginger died unexpectedly in 2009, and then his house burned down in 2016. Let's move on to another example, that of William Bud Post III, who was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, and had led a tough life before his lottery win. Orphaned by the death of his mother and his father's abandonment at age eight. After spending his life in an orphanage and reaching adulthood, Bud worked odd jobs and did time in prison for check fraud. He was also married six times. Bud later told reporters that by the time of his big win, he was barely getting by on disability checks and had less than $3 in his bank account. But Bud's life changed dramatically when he bought a winning ticket, a $16.2 million ticket, in the Pennsylvania Lottery in 1988. Lottery winners have two choices. They can either cash out half of their winnings immediately, or they can receive an annual payment and get the full amount. 
Bud landed on the second choice and started receiving almost $500,000 a year. Bud went into business with his siblings, opening a used car lot in a restaurant in Florida. For himself, Bud bought a twin-engine plane, even though he lacked a pilot's license and the skills to fly it. Later, he put money into a $395,000 mansion that was sold as a fixer-upper. Just three months later, Bud was in $500,000 of debt, and by the end of the year, Bud's business endeavors had fallen through, as had the relationship with his siblings, all over fights around money. In 1989, one of Bud's brothers, hoping to inherit the lottery winnings, unsuccessfully hired a hitman to murder Bud and his wife. Bud's sixth marriage soon fell apart after he reportedly fired a rifle shot at her car, and that same year, he filed for bankruptcy. Bud then ran into problems with his former landlady-slash-girlfriend, Ann Karpik, who sued for a portion of his winnings, claiming that they had agreed to split the money between them. He denied that such an arrangement ever happened, but Karpik was able to convince a judge that it had. Bud was ordered to pay her one-third of his winnings, and when he failed to turn over the funds, the judge was able to halt his annual payments. Bud then sold off much of what he'd bought, except for the mansion where he continued to live, which was frozen in the middle of renovation. Talk about some haunting imagery for the curse of the lottery. At one point, when a man came to collect a debt Bud owed him for the repair of one of his cars, Bud aimed his shotgun over the man's head and fired from inside that creepy, crumbling mansion. Unsurprisingly, the man pressed charges and Bud was convicted of assault, though he did manage to avoid serving time for another six years. Not long after, he finally sold that mansion and subsequently blew the rest of his winnings on cars, motorcycles, TV sets, and a couple more houses. In 1998, 10 years after he'd won the lottery, the assault charge finally caught up with him and he was arrested while on his sailboat. After serving his time, Bud lived out the rest of his life in the same way he had before that golden ticket, on food stamps and disability payments. Abraham Shakespeare was on a routine overnight food delivery job in his home state of Florida when he decided to buy a lottery ticket in November of 2006. He was 41, and he couldn't read or write very well, had a criminal record, and child support to pay. On that November night, the delivery truck driver, Michael Ford, had asked if Abraham wanted anything from inside the convenience store that they had stopped at. Abraham handed Ford a $5 bill and asked for two Quick Picks tickets. Soon after, Abraham discovered he'd chosen the winning numbers. Accepting the jackpot in that lump sum, he pocketed upwards of $11 million after taxes. Known locally as a very kind-hearted man, Abraham did indeed immediately set out sharing his winnings with those around him, starting trust accounts and writing checks for his family and paying off mortgage debts for his friends and other community members. 
Hearing of Abraham's now famous generosity, others began regularly approaching him, asking for money, both acquaintances and strangers alike. He almost always obliged. Aside from his new car, Abraham bought himself a $1 million home in a gated community. But the only other purchase he made for himself was a Rolex watch, which he bought from a pawn shop. When asked by the media why he was giving all of his money away, he simply referenced messages from the Bible. Giving away most of his wealth was a spiritual endeavor. Abraham was likely overwhelmed by all of the people asking for money and what he could and couldn't provide. But then one woman approached Abraham, who didn't seem to want his winnings. Dee Dee Moore was already running a successful nurse staffing business when she approached Abraham with an idea to write a book about his lottery success and the journey that came after. The two quickly became close friends, and Abraham soon confided in her that he was worried about how much money he had left. Moore then offered to help Abraham manage his finances. He trusted her advice because she was a successful business owner, and six months later, Moore had gained full control over all of Abraham's assets, including that $1 million house. In November of 2009, just three years after Abraham won the lottery, his family reported him missing. Moore soon became the main person of interest in his disappearance, and detectives searched the mansion and found that she'd recently bought herself a brand new Hummer with Abraham's money. She insisted that this ridiculous SUV, as well as some other expensive items that belonged to Moore, were all gifts from Abraham. But to the authorities, as well as his friends and family, this random woman was super suspicious. The following month, an emotional Dee Dee Moore contacted Abraham's friend Greg Smith, whom Abraham had saved financially when his mother's house defaulted. She tried to convince him to help keep his family from worrying by calling and saying he'd seen her or by even pretending to be him. Moore was unaware that Greg had been approached by investigators and had agreed to be their informant, hiding a microphone inside a Red Bull can he used as an ashtray in his car. Once the murder weapon had been secured by the authorities and Moore had essentially confessed, Greg convinced her to show him where Abraham's body was buried. In January 2010, police responded to the information that Greg had provided that a body was buried in the backyard of a home owned by Dee Dee Moore. Nine feet underneath a recently paved concrete slab, the body of 43-year-old Abraham Shakespeare was finally found with two bullet wounds to the chest. Moore was arrested four days later and found guilty of first-degree murder. Though she tried to paint an elaborate picture of Abraham being cursed by his lottery winnings, it was ultimately his encounter with Moore that caused his untimely death. You wish he would have never won the lottery. Yeah. Yep. Abraham don't win the lottery. Abraham still lives.
You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Despite these widespread stories and legends of a curse that befalls most, if not all, lottery winners, there are far more success stories than horror stories, but they're just not as interesting. These are a couple pretty cute ones, though. Stories of modest folks who managed their finances and didn't succumb to celebrity or wild spending sprees. Growing up in South Dakota... Neil Wanless's teachers knew him as a nice kid in jeans, a Wrangler shirt, and a cowboy hat, who often stayed late to improve his grades and to help other students with their own. After he left school, he won the $232 million Powerball jackpot in 2009, with one of his teachers commenting that she was worried he might get suckered out of it. Not long before he bought that winning ticket, the Wanless family, in debt and living in one of the poorest regions of the U.S., had had their motorhome repossessed, moving into a camper on the 320-acre ranch that they had managed to hang on to. Even after his big win, Neil's mind was set on his chores around the ranch. His first plan with the money was to buy a badly needed tractor 
and to make repairs on his family's hay baling machine. The neighbors around Todd County spoke highly of the Wanlesses and agreed that the money couldn't have gone to a better home. Neil was described as a hardworking, humble kid who caught a long-deserved break. In a press conference, a bewildered and visibly shy Neil said that he needed time to process before answering questions. I know everyone has a lot of questions, and after this has sunk in and when I have a better grasp of what has happened, I will be happy to answer any questions for all of you. Though he did express his intentions to use the money for good. I'd like to thank the Lord for the, giving me this opportunity and blessing me with this great fortune. I will not squander it. My family has been helped by the community and I intend to repay it that many times over. When asked what he planned to do next, Neil said simply, quote, I just want to go home and ranch and ride horses and check cows. He was soon able to fulfill his dream of purchasing a larger ranch for his family. At the time, he told reporters that he'd always wished he had the space to go for longer rides on his horse, Eleanor. I am actually getting a little choked up over here. Similarly to Neil, for a long time, Sandra Hayes had been praying for a break. She was a 45-year-old single mother of three, working on an income of under $26,000 a year, and was also suffering from lupus, a chronic autoimmune disease. Sandra felt crushed under the weight of debt, which included both medical bills and student loans. Thanks, America. After winning $222 million in the lottery, she intelligently hired a team of financial planners. She tried to keep to herself, but the media spread the word and soon were camped out on her lawn. Regardless, in the years since her big win, Sandra's been able to focus more on her family, setting up college funds for her children, and also helping out her community members. But her life didn't change as radically as some of those who win the jackpot. Sandra still seeks good deals while shopping through coupons and discount shops. But now she also has the money to give back to the causes that helped her when she was struggling, helping fund after-school programs and even paying medical bills for survivors of domestic abuse. We love you, Sandra Hayes. So what of this curse? It seems that there is some truth to the legend. Nearly one-third of lottery winners eventually declare bankruptcy, and they do so at a higher rate than the average American. Though one-third is pretty high, almost every source online tells us that that number is 70%, making this lotto downfall seem like it happens more often than it doesn't. This misconception traces back to a study by the National Endowment for Financial Education, one that's been parroted by almost every major publication who writes about this curse. However, the study never happened, and the National Endowment put out a press release in 2018 calling out those false reports. There are indeed many instances of depression and suicide that also seem to haunt these winners. Some psychologists have pointed out that relationships to family and friends and to the community at large suddenly become less authentic. 
all of a sudden, they face constant requests, and like most of us, they want to do what they can to help those they love. But it comes at an emotional price, and it comes with guilt when they can't seem to fulfill all of those wishes. Most lotto winners have tried in vain to keep their identities a secret, but states require that their names be released. And then comes the onslaught of letters and calls from strangers begging for more and more help, detailing their desperate situations. This is one of the big reasons that those with these outrageous windfalls often end up broke, which does remind one of the old adage, no good deed goes unpunished. Hopefully that's not really true. Right, Sandra? Right? Jason Curlin, who's been called the go-to attorney for lottery winners, has stated that the biggest mistake they make is to head toward the limelight and begs his clients to keep a low profile, lest they find themselves in the aforementioned situations. Curlin also believes that a team of experienced professionals must be hired immediately, including a wealth manager, a lawyer, an accountant, and a financial advisor. Checks and balances are important because really, you can't trust anybody. And as tempting as it may be, do not take that lump sum. Take those annual payments to help keep yourself in check. You gotta keep a clear head because it's been estimated that most winners only save about 16 cents for every dollar they have. For those of us on the outside, the archetypal lottery winner serves two psychological purposes. We can imagine ourselves in this way, adore the possibility and the excitement of a sudden radical change of life. On the other hand, the psychology of schadenfreude gives us pleasure when we see those winners that we're probably envious of losing it all. Of course, there are far more success stories that we just don't read about, modest instances that don't end in devastation, but who cares about them? We'll always love a downfall more than a success, but the dreams of winning big never leave us, and for most of us, those dreams are never fulfilled. Our consolation prize? Avoiding a curse, avoiding bankruptcy, avoiding the disintegration of our families, depression, and even our own untimely deaths. We can look to that oft-reproduced story of the monkey's paw, a kind of folktale of wishes granted at unknowable, horrible costs, all in retribution for messing with fate. Regardless of the unlikely idea that nefarious forces manipulate the lives of lotto winners, there is a moral to this story. Be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And you might find out that you never really wanted it at all. Or you might pay off your loved one's debts, plan your future carefully, and buy yourself a sick boat. At the end of the day, it's all up to you. This was American Hysteria's Aftershock. Next time on the show, we're taking a couple weeks off and we'll be back to bring you an episode on men's rights. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Sound production by Clear Como Studios, co-written and researched by Riley Smith, and co-produced by Miranda Zickler. 
Thanks, as always, for listening. And if you're looking for a way to help out our show and also get some fun new content, head over to our Patreon. You can find the link in our show notes. And if you do decide to become a patron, you'll get extra episodes, video diaries of me, and you'll get news about the show before everyone else. Not to mention ad-free episodes that you get the night before they come out. We really appreciate your financial support, but we also appreciate the emotional support that y'all give us on social media. So please come and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and you can find those links in our show notes as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, and just so you know, I won't be making any wishes in that time. In fact, I never make any wishes at all. I don't even wish when I blow out my candles on my birthday cake because I'm terrified of messing with fate, and I'm terrified of the monkey's paw. Maybe I shouldn't be making a skeptical show. Maybe you shouldn't trust me at all. Have a great week. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.